0: Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir and uh, I think you're really going to like today uh you know you know Steve Clifford uh, head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh Steve has been a terrific friend for years he's on our faculty at Coaching You live and uh he's a he's he, the thing I love about him he is a throwback throwback old school high values coach. Who loves the game and the way he came up, I think you're going to be fascinated for those coaches, our young coaches that say, how do I get into the college game? How do I get into the pro game? Listen very closely to what Steve talks about when he shares how he got into coaching and his background. And I think you'll find someone that talks in a way that is very enlightening about the way the pro game is now what he does in the offseason, studying the game. But I think uh, when we come back and we talk, I think you're going to say Steve Clifford is some kind of coach. Our friends at Crossover want to help you coach smarter and win more games. They'll cut and tag your game film for you, giving you back interactive shot charts, searchable clips, and advanced statistics in just 12 hours. Stop wasting time in the film room doing all that tedious prep work. Simply log in and start getting powerful analysis straight from your video. Even if you think you already know what these guys are all about, I suggest you take another look. Their new insights, features, create hex spin charts, and shooting efficiency reports for you and your opponents. Something you're not going to get with Huddle or anybody else. Get the boys and girls teams on board and you'll both save 10%. Add on football, volleyball, lacrosse, hockey, or soccer, and your savings go up from there. Sign up at www.crossover.com forward slash coaching you to receive one free game. That's crossover with a K dot com slash coaching you to get one free game. Thrilled today to have Steve Clifford, the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets with us. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Oh, thank you Brendan. It's good to be with you. The last time that you and I were physically together was down to the Orlando summer League and uh my God, you had a little problem with your tooth everything okay
1: everything is <laughs> okay unfortunately there uh uh if anybody's ever had wisdom teeth issues uh it came at a came at a bad time, so I had to get back here and yeah. Uh yeah, you know what it is. It, it wasn't a big deal, but a couple of days
0: of, of uh, discomfort. You know. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, oxymoron. Uh, Chuck Daly once told me I had a wisdom tooth problem with the Pistons. He said. I've never had an assistant coach that had wisdom teeth because you don't have much wisdom, my friend. <laughs> and, and then Chuck deadpanned and walked away, you know. Uh, but, but you know that you know. Sorry, uh, yesterday to see uh, you know one of our coaching legends in Rolly Massimino uh, pass yesterday, and uh, you know, and I and I thought back to so many of the times, and you know, when you have these guys come into your life that you meet as a young guy. I mean, I was like. Twenty years old, and he came from, you know, he was a UB Brown guy. He was a Jersey guy. I don't know if you know that. He was just below Newark, and uh, you know, he was a Jersey guy. And then Fratello was his assistant, and uh, you know, so it was. Uh, so I knew him. he was. He was Chuck's assistant at Penn. How about that? When yeah,
1: you know. I'll tell you what's interesting is I and and I agree. It's a sad day. He was a great coach, obviously, and a great man. I have a connection with Coach Massimino and his family going all the way back to uh, when I was like a fourth or fifth grader. My dad was a terrific high school coach in Vermont, and he met Coach Massimino at a coaching clinic. And my father uh, was the public school coach in our town, and there was also a Catholic uh, Catholic school, and he and the guy... Uh, a guy named Dick Jarvis coached the Catholic school. They started a basketball camp in northern Vermont. And they got Coach Massimino to start coming up every summer. Yeah, He would rent a camp uh, on the lake there. You know, Vermont's beautiful in the summer. He would come for the whole week. So when I was a young kid, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, uh, a week out of every summer, he would bring his whole family And he would come to his camp every day and speak. And uh, so I, you know, I have a connection. And the other thing is, believe it or not, uh, Coach Harder, Dick Harder, Mm -hmm. used to do the off seasons when he was in the NBA in our area. So both of them would be at camp. And, um, you know, just I mean, you know,
0: obviously he was Coach Mastamino was a coach's coach. You know, the interesting thing, you mentioned Dick Carter's name, uh, another great, great coach. But both guys love to do clinics and uh, speak at camps, which nowadays you just don't, you know, a college coach would never speak at a camp because he can't go and speak at another NCAA coach's camp. We don't have those. He's probably not allowed to go speak uh, in, you know, at a camp uh, of where there's high school prospects because of the stupid rules and stuff. So it's a it's a lost art. And I remember Dick Carter would do 100 lectures a summer and trying to get knowing Dick $100 a lecture. How about that? $100. No,
1: I, oh, yeah. Well, when I was in college, like a lot of other guys back then, I'm sure they still do it. I was a Division three player. You would work a camp every week. And I did it yep. primarily in New England. And I bet I would see Coach Carter speak. <laughs> Oh, easily nine, ten times a
0: summer, anywhere from the camps in Boston all the way up to Maine. You know, and I would, uh, when I was coming up, um, you know, I I tried to work a real job one summer, lasted about two weeks, and then after that, I would do ten weeks of camp, eight to ten weeks of camp a summer, just like you, and it was fabulous. You know, you go to the Poconos. I would go from Jersey. I'd go to the Poconos for a couple weeks, work the, the late Bill Foster's camp. Uh, the Rutgers Duke Bill Foster, and then uh, Harry Litwack from Temple. Those two guys had a camp, you know. And then when a coach would come up, like a guy like, you know, like you mentioned, like a guy like Mass or someone, they would spend the night there because they were going to another camp in the Poconos the next day, and they would actually do a clinic for you at night. And that's how I learned basketball, you know, from guys like that. They would share so much, and it's just a different culture now. It's sad I, for the young coaches. They they want a quick fix how to get to college or pro, but they they really missed the jump, the experience that we had that I thought was invaluable, invaluable to learn the game.
1: No, no, and I think a part of that. I mean, I'm not uh, as involved as I'd like to be, in in the grassroots part of basketball in our country. But uh, you know, I have nieces uh, and I have a little goddaughter who plays and. I think what's happened is as the game has been taken away from the high school coaches, mm-hmm. it's really changed all of that uh, where, you know, high school coaches taking their teams to weekend team camps, right, Would you mm-hmm. say, you know, then the whoever was running the camp, you know, setting up a chalk talk or a question and answer kind of thing at night where you sat around yep. and did that, to now it's, uh, you know, I went down to Orlando maybe two months ago, and I watched uh, uh, my brother's daughter. uh, They live in Maine, and her seventh-grade team played in the AAU. And, you know, even at that age, I mean, they had one game where they played, you know, one game at 545 and another game at 815. (laughs) And, you know, it's just about playing games now and traveling uh, and I just think so much of the teaching and the fundamentals have gone out of the game for the players, which, as you know, veteran NBA people will tell you. I mean, I remember being with the Knicks for me 16, 17 years ago, um, and Dick McGuire and Don Chaney talking about guys are less and less prepared every year that they come into the league fundamentally, um, and I would say it's gotten worse and worse in that regard, but it's also, uh, I think that, you know, the things that you're talking about, that's how I grew up as a coach. Sure. Where you went to camp to work with players, but also to learn. And a lot of that came at night.
0: Yeah. And and you remember at, at camps as a kid, the campers, you know, we would put them through stations where they had to learn fundamentals. You know, nowadays you try to do it, the kids might protest on you. So, I mean, uh, but, you know, you came out of Maine, you know, and uh, I, I was thinking about it last night, Steve, Are you the only coach in the NBA from Maine?
1: Uh, Actually, believe it or not, there's two head coaches right now. Cut it out. That were born in Maine. Brett Brown.
0: Yes. uh,
1: He played at South Portland High School. Right. And uh, then played at Boston University for Coach Patino. Right. Brett was fabulous. his first recruiting class. And then he and I have a, a long relationship because you may know this, but Brett Brown's dad, Bob Brown.
0: Yep. He's an
1: absolute legend uh, in New England. He was yes. a tremendously successful high school coach. I worked for him at St. Anselm College, a Division II school in New great, Hampshire.
0: Great school. Then I,
1: yep, and then I also worked for him at Boston University. So Brett and I go way, way back, but there's actually yeah, two of, two guys born in Maine that are head coaches right now.
0: I forgot, you know, I had Brad coaching you this summer and he mentioned, he's telling us about his, his history and I know his dad and, but I forgot, I always associated him more with Boston because I'm playing for Rick and, uh, but you know, I forgot that. See, so that's, you, you know, you, you probably have as many coaches as California. How about that? that, that yeah. That's spectacular though, you know. It's a small
1: world, right?
0: And, and then, you know, how helpful was it? You, you came out and you were a high school coach originally, uh, that's you know and then and then you got started on your assistant route through small colleges uh, how did that path you know lead you to where you are now
1: well um you know like like I you know like anyone it's uh you know I guess you're product of or or, you know your philosophy comes so much from the people that you worked from Mm -hmm. and so you know my dad was a terrific high school coach i played at university of maine farmington i played poorly but i played and i played for a terrific coach there uh a guy named len McPhee, who was uh an old school fundamentalist i mean Mm -hmm. there was no three-point line when we played there was no shot clock and we played right in the 40s um I remember our rule was if you took a shot before the ball hit the post or was reversed, you could take it. But if you missed it, you automatically came out. <laughs> and you remember love- the games back yeah. then. I mean, if you were up eight with, say, seven or eight minutes left, everybody went to the delay game. Yeah. Um, so the game was so different. But I learned a lot from him. Um, he helped me get a, a high school coaching job, you know, in Maine. Um for my first two years out of high school. And then, like you said, uh, Brett's dad gave me a chance to go to uh, St. Anselm as an assistant. And, I mean, these are, you know, it's just funny, you know, the things that you you do when you're young. I went there for – I got to eat breakfast and lunch in the calf. I got to be the assistant women's soccer coach, which I knew nothing about. I think they paid me $1,200. I did two intramural things for $300 each. I lived with Coach Brown in a house. He gave me a room for free. And then I used to work at a boot factory Uh, every morning. I would get – it was 3 a.m. to 7.30 a.m., four-and-a-half-hour shifts where – I was the guy that I sat with a little knife, and it was as the rubber, the hot rubber. I had to cut off the excess rubber off the mold on the boots. I could read. I used to take a book every day and say every 30 seconds it would come. You'd cut it off. It'd take two, three seconds. It would move, and I would read. And uh, that was my first uh, whatever you want to call it. I was a volunteer. That was my first college coaching experience.
0: How about that? Imagine if we ever suggested that nowadays to a kid, what they would say to us. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a different thing, and uh, you know, and and the money, of course, became so different. Then uh, talk about how you know you went on first when you went on with uh, Jeff to with the Knicks as a first first year as scout. I always felt when my first year when I was with UB with the Hawks and Mike Fratello, I felt that learning to be a pro scout, I thought, taught me to lead better than anything. How about your experience?
1: Oh, uh, I, t- I totally agree with that. For, and the other thing is, it's the hardest job I've ever had,
0: I, uh, as you know. Yeah, I tell every I tell every guy, you want to get in the NBA, that's the one job you don't want. No, you work it's, harder it's than just, everyone. Yep.
1: oh, it's, uh, it's,
0: uh, and thankless. I hate to say it, but yeah, very and
1: brutal. Fact. And the staff with the Knicks at the time was Tom Thibodeau, Don <laughs> Cheney, Kevin O'Neill. Oh, man. And I was not really good on the computer either. <laughs> so when we all get together, those guys still have a few stories about, you know, drawings with six offensive players <laughs> and stuff like that. But it's a, As you know, it's a coaching clinic every night when you're a scout. And it was, for me, I came there from East Carolina University. Mm -hmm. It was just, I just loved it. And I, you know, different people like the college game, the NBA game. Um, I actually had a chance my first year with the Knicks as a scout to get a a really good mid-major college job. And you know what? I could not get interested in it. I knew from day one that if i could last i wanted to be in the nba game i liked the you know really it's the purpose of play the level of execution the exceptionality or the greatness of the players um and you know it's a different and it's not, not that as you know it's not that the coaching is better it's just different because the players are so good that more things can happen um and i i loved that experience um it was and again it gave me a great introduction into the nba and i, I look back now steven silas who's the associate <laughs> head coach for us here was scouting uh todd quinter who's one of our scouts was scouting uh eric spolstra yep. who was the scout in miami i mean uh it was it was a phenomenal experience
0: you know uh what what when- I remember, you know, your good friend and mine, Brendan Malone, uh, when he was... Uh, and talk about the size of staffs in the NBA. We had, in Detroit, we had Malone and myself, the two assistants. That's it. We have no advanced yeah. scout, no nothing. It's the two of us. And Chuck Daly's the head coach. And we got this phenomenal team. And, uh, you know, I say, and Dumars and those guys. and And so... Malone though would he would go his job was he would go out and do the advanced scouting on his night off, possibly have to miss a game every now. But his night off he would go advance scout, and he would come and he loves basketball so much. And he would come back and I can I can just picture this locker room coaching locker room right now, and he'd come back and he would see the Knicks, <laughs> and he, you know, him, and he'd come oh, back yeah. and he would see the Knicks with Pitino, and they're pressing and they're you know Rick's running around. And he would come back, and he'd say, "Hey Chuck, uh, I re- I really think we should press, <laughs> you know." <laughs> and, and Chuck said, uh, "You know, do you want me to put lamb beer on the bowl or in the back, <laughs> you know?" And, and you know, and 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 you really think Isaiah is going to be up there, you know? And it was just, you know, but he was sincere. He, you know, he was really trying to help. Then he would go to the west, and he'd go see. Uh, Denver play and Doug Moe's coaching, and they got the passing game, and they're running scoring a hundred and forty points. And he come back and said, "Chuck, we got to put in the passing game and <laughs> stuff." But it was every game, you know, because what happens is you go out and you see Jerry Sloan and Doug Moe and these guys, and they're such great coaches, and you're you get excited about it. Like you said, it's a clinic.
1: Oh uh, no, it, it it really is, and and. uh you know, with Coach Malone, believe it or not, my relationship with him also go back goes back to when I was in college, and he was an assistant at Syracuse.
0: Wow! Yeah, he
1: used to own a camp at Colby College in Maine. Didn't know and that. And that was yeah, and that was one of the camps that I used to work at in the summers. So when Michael was, I want to say fourth, fifth grade, yeah, uh, I he used to always put Michael on my team. And he would come and watch our games and help me. He knew I wanted to be a coach. Uh, And, you know, we had five years together in Orlando. And it was, you know, I I mean, a great staff step when we worked for Stan. But my my time with him, I mean, he's very much a mentor to me. And uh, I just hope, you know, in terms of what you said, you know, when they talk about people that has a love and a passion, and a talent for coaching to me he's about as good as it gets
0: absolutely you know and <laughs> we, we used to because of the size and and i'll be honest with you the size of the staffs was so good back then for this reason only steve i think is that now you know and i i'd love that every guy's got jobs i'd love that but you know you turn around you got six guys there in your huddle you know and and everyone wants to contribute and help and so, and as the head coach you can't listen to six guys when you have a hundred seconds to make a decision, right? And, and and so, when we had two guys, it was great. You know, Chuck would say, "Yes, no, thank you. I don't, you know, I don't need you, whatever." But it was only two guys. We weren't competing for his time, so to speak. You know, or you know, I, 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 and that's not sour grapes. That was just I thought easier. And I see the same thing in college now.
1: Well, here's my feeling, and I think that. Um, you know you may even have a broader perspective on this than I do there are now like here and the guy you know we have a guy named David Kaplan he's our full-time analytics coach I think everybody does that mm-hmm. and you know everybody has you know whatever a larger training staff and, sure. and there's great things about that because the information is more readily available okay but I think that the one misnomer is that things are a lot more sophisticated now, and I really don't think they are. Um, the NBA—you've always been able to get the information, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be uh, that you paid for it. I mean, right? I mean, you—you uh, you know, when I was with the Knicks, uh, we get—we had all the numbers too. I mean, it's—it's it's just different. It's quick courage more readily available but like you said is as you get more people involved especially with NBA players then there's also the uh, possibility um, that it's harder to keep everybody together you know um, ambition is a tough thing within a staff within a team and I think that with the way things are gone now, is you know we have everything. Every guy's got their own workout guy. They got their own strength guy. They have their own, you know, emotional advisors. <laughs> I mean, they have
0: everything. But what I need an is, emotional advisor, you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: but no. But what yeah. happens is, unfortunately, <clears throat> is that you have a lot of people who have the ability to impact players, but they're not doing the one thing that they have to do in in order to be an expert enough on the players to help them. And that is watch the film. And, you know, the, one of the, you're impacted so much again in this league by the great coaches that you learn from one, you know, I was, uh, when I was advanced scouting for the Knicks for Jeff, uh, you know, we had the big rivalry with Miami right? and I loved going to watch Miami play And I always went to Coach Riley's post-game press conference just to listen to him. And one of the things he said one night, and I've never forgotten it, was they asked him about a stretch of the game. And he said, this is what I think. But to be honest with you, I never really know until I watch the film. And so the reporter pressed him on it. And he said, listen, is unless you're watching the film – You can look at numbers, you can look at the stats, you can make general comments, but until you watch the film, you never really know. And as you know, within a coaching staff, that's the advantage. You know, I told the guys here, there are a lot of people that care about you. Only the people in this room are watching the film and they're the only ones that can help you play better, you know. Uh, But to get back to the original point, you know, the size of your coaching staff to me is that's one of the tricks you know so that to get to me team chemistry a lot of times or most times is so directly related to coaching staff chemistry and all you need is one guy who puts himself above what you're trying to do as a coaching staff Um, and it can you know it can be a real detriment to your team
0: Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fastmodel has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software. Fast Draw, Fast Draw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. Doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastCout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team, and 85% of Division I college teams When you came in under Jeff, and I was watching Jeff uh, coach yesterday. In fact, uh, the last two days, uh, you know, the U.S. team. Uh, yeah, I watched those <clears throat> games too. Yeah. Uh, and I know he's finished watching the film just a little while ago, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 uh, and it was really fun to watch him. You know, because you know, and I, and I sent him a text beforehand. I said, I hope you really enjoy this because he's such a great coach, and and he's so good for our game, and. Uh, and it's, it's the only unfortunate part of listening to him on TV is we're, we don't have a great coach coaching in our league, you know, and 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 I miss that, uh, but I want him to be happy, et cetera. And so, you know, he actually is coaching 30 teams, you know, when he's on TV, but it's, that's good. And uh, But it, it was fun to watch him and, and his style of play. And the style of play back when Jeff was coaching and the style that he and Riles and guys like that played was so different than the ball that's being coached and played now fair totally
1: um in fact he came uh last year to training camp here for three days cool you know just to say hey i didn't like this i like this you know i'd scrap this awesome you know yeah and one of his first things after the first day was you know wow this game really has changed um you know, this game has become, uh, it's still the balanced teams win, right? I mean, mm-hmm. everybody talks about Golden State's offense, but their defense is terrific too. I mean, they've been top two in defense now three years in a row. So the right. balanced teams are still winning. The difference is obviously people are playing more shooting and more skill. Uh, there's more downsizing. It's not just, as you know, it's not just the four out one in. A lot of teams are five out, particularly when the game is on the line, and it's changed. uh, You know, like for instance, defense was much much simpler shoot three years ago. You know, but particularly ten years ago, when people were more three out to win. You know, role replace. You remember? Yeah. You could really, uh, you know, you could almost just script your defense now. There are a lot more decisions that have to be made individually on the floor, uh, and you have to have, in my opinion, much more of a cover scramble type mentality within your team, um, and it's made it made it much different. And uh, you know, after having a uh, you know, a summer study, you know, it's interesting to me because one of the things that I think is people talk about now in this game. You know, you can't play many guys on the perimeter that can't shoot threes. Um, Which in many ways, I think particularly in playoff series is a valid point. However, when you really watch and you watch playoff series, the other thing that's hard to do if you want to win a playoff series is if you don't have two-way players, uh, you're Mm -hmm. in trouble too. Because people are playing more offense on the floor, I don't want to get into names, but you can stop and think of the guys in the playoffs. There were some terrific offensive players who were poor defenders. Right. And it is hard to play a really poor defender right now, too. Um, You really need to have guys. To me, it's versatility, positional size, and guys that can play at both ends of the floor.
0: You know, if you have a let's just use a point guard, let's just say that he's a terrific scorer, and I'm not, This is not about Kimba, not because I love him, but I mean, on another team in the league, a really good team, and he's a really good offensive player, but he's a poor defender. Then and and now, what you can do is use that small player to screen, so that the little guy, the poor defender, has to switch on to the better player, and and that's what you're talking about, and that's the creativity. Of, it's not running plays as much as concepts and exploiting a thing. Is that correct? What do you think?
1: Totally. No, totally. And 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 what? And I think that what you're talking about is the game has become more flow, right? Mm-hmm. There's still a, right. still a set play league, uh, but there's a lot of teams. Golden State, they run a lot of sets. They execute well, but they're great when they're basically playing ball, flowing. You look at Mike's team in Houston. Right. Uh, where they're going to come down and they're going to get into different actions to mix up your pick and roll protection but basically it's going to be a multiple pick and roll type game and to me again um, and, and there's obviously a difference between uh, the really good players who can be exceptional players during the regular season and then also have the type of game that can be effective in the playoffs and then there's other guys that can help you win in the in the regular season but are going to struggle in the playoffs so I think you also depending on where your team is at you have to be careful about how you evaluate and when you sit in the summer and you just sit and watch playoff series after playoff series there were some really good players who had good good years but again when you get into a playoff series uh where you're playing the same team two or three weeks hey the smaller guys are gonna you know people are gonna go at them and they're gonna create matchup problems and then when you're running around to me now uh committing two to the ball be it in a pick and roll dribble handoff in the post whatever it is there's so much skill on the floor <laughs> that it's really hard to do so Again, like that's to me is uh, the better teams, you know, positional size, versatility. Um, But I I, I still think everybody's talking about the guys that can't shoot threes. And what I also saw in the playoffs were a number of really good offensive players. And if they can't guard, they really got exposed in the playoffs.
0: Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish is also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in of the basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of coaching you for the last two years to learn more about dr dish log on to dr or follow them on twitter at dr dish b ball how much uh do you give your staff assignments in the summer of things that you want to learn and work on and study
1: yeah is, i do yeah um yeah we we've actually um we we've, we've been meeting here and we'll do more as as we get back here after after labor day but um i give each guy uh you know two or three things uh-huh. and then um you know they come back and present it to the staff uh,
0: i think that's great
1: yeah it, i mean it's you, you know and i'm lucky here i have a a really a strong staff and it's a working staff they're all guys that uh i think are good teachers they're great with the players but they love to study the nba and i think our our game changed more in the last two years than any time uh for me this will be next year will be 18 years the only time i can remember the game changing that much would have been when they changed the rules Yes. Um, You know, I think it's really different now, and, um, you know, trying to figure out the best way, I I think as much defensively as anything, to, you know, just have clean coverages, you know, so that you have a way to, you know, keep the matchups you want uh, without being in rotation all the time Mm -hmm. is is the trick, and it's not easy to, to, to do, you know
0: back in the day and i and i'm you know taking you back to you know when you first came in and you know went down let's say to houston with jeff you know that t- that time of the league and, and really when you also came to orlando with stan you know when you guys would have a shoot around uh you know you probably you know you know you'd, you know you go over your four or five plays uh of the opponent and that was a that was a very common practice and there were Five things that you would want to You knew that the other opponent would run and and a couple of side out of bounds and one under. Let's say so no, there were no surprises, but now, I think from an outsider, semi outsider, I'm sitting there saying it's got to be heck, to prepare nowadays, for some for some teams because you uh, don't know what's uh,
1: going. yeah no well you know I mean I, and and I think it's as simple as this you know the basic tenant Of offense has always been spacing right and the one of the differences as you know is that I found when I came into the NBA in college because of the age of the players not again not the quality of the coaches you really have pretty much your defense right I mean it's wing denial or it's help or you know you're with 18 19 20 year old guys You really have to have a lot of repetition to get them to be able to, you know, execute things that way. Whereas in this league, you know, guys are older, they've played more, and they have more experiences so you can do more. And the biggest difference is in college, um, they're going to play their defense, most teams. In this league, they're going to guard you to where you can shoot from, you know. And so... There's so much more room on the floor now for people to play and attack because again, everybody's playing four range shooters, sometimes five range shooters. And I think it's as simple as that. I mean, that's where it starts. You look at the rosters of how people are subbing and how they're playing. You play some teams that you know may start four one out four out one in just to I think set a tone defensively. And the game's on the line. They're going to have five three-point shooters out there. And it just puts so much pressure on your defense.
0: You know, I think, again, I thought the NBA offseason this year was like nothing I've ever seen. And I came in the league at 79 80. As uh, you know, Magic Bird and myself, we saved a league, boy. I tell you, uh, but you know,
1: <laughs> I've heard a lot of people say that, boy.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, but I've never seen a summer and a you know draft area like this, where the trades, the movement, and stuff like that, and the deals being worked. Have you seen this anything like this before?
1: I mean, not in my time. Yeah. I mean I think the, I think it's also, I think it was a a little bit of a byproduct I would say of, um, you know, the TV deal, right. That was, yeah. that was made two years ago where the salary cap went up so much two years ago. Yep. And then some people were able to, or were in positions with their roster to, you know, create space to be creative and do things. Um, and then other people, you know, were not, but, uh, Yeah, I mean, certainly more big names. I mean, you just don't get many trades, obviously, like the Cleveland-Boston trade where you have uh, guys of that caliber, you know, moving. And um, it's, uh, you know, I mean, that part's different, obviously, too.
0: Now, you did something very uh, kind of against the grain, so to speak, I would think, when, as an organization... You, you know, everyone's saying, oh, you can't play. Centers are extinct now. No need to do that. And uh, now all of a sudden you have a guy who you're incredibly familiar with, had great success with in Dwight Howard, and you're able to get him from the Hawks in what I thought was a terrific move. Uh, a, talk about why you would take a big guy in this er- era, and what do you foresee for Dwight?
1: Well, he, here's the, f- the, the f- first thing <clears throat> is – The three-point shooting, it's still on most teams most nights. People are shooting more and more threes, and the numbers back that up. But there are still only going to be, you know, one, two most nights guys that are going to beat you off the dribble from the NBA three. You know, it's just even for our guys, as great as they are, you know, there aren't a ton of guys in this league who shoot you know a good good percentage of threes off the dribble right right so as a result of that most of the quality threes that you have to take away are the spot ups and the spot ups if your team is engaged and active are going to come off inside out plays right the driving kicks the pick and rolls the cuts whatever it is it doesn't matter right i mean Mm -hmm. the seal paint catch they collapse they touch it out So if you look at it, like our team, for instance, you know, we had some issues last year. uh, You know, a lot of it actually health-related. We brought Roy Hibbert in here um, Mm -hmm. to help, you know, and he was going to share the time with Cody Zeller, who's a very good defender. And, you know, we felt that Roy still had a lot left, and he got injured the first, you know, the second game of the year, excuse me, at Miami. You know, and played part of the year, but for the most part, was injured. If you look at our defensive numbers in the games where we were able to play two guys at center, who were both smart. Roy's very bright. Cody's really bright. Our defensive numbers were really good. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, you know, when we when we weren't able to play Roy and we played more skill at the five, our offensive numbers were better, and our defensive numbers were not even close and it all worked together as you know so we filed more we <laughs> gave up more points in the paint but we gave up a lot more threes simply because you know the paint protection uh, the ability to um, you know at least put some fear in penetrators knowing that uh, you know we had shot blocking or I would say Cody is more of a you know, a paint protector than a rim protector. But, but our defensive numbers when he's in the game last year versus when he wasn't were night and day. So, to me, having a center who's good defensively is critical. And if you look at the top defensive teams, uh, most of them either have, again, positional size, you know, seeing Antonio, Golden State, where they're versatile – and they can do a lot of switching and not which doesn't create significant matchup problems okay or the utahs the miamis where they have really the elite shot blocker okay and now to get to dwight you know i still think that dwight is uh an elite center and it's not just defensively frankly i mean you know, you know how they say that you never know a player until you've coached them. And one of the things I think people don't understand about him is how intelligent he is. You know, he ran our defense in Orlando. I mean, he is a communicator. He knows coverages. He makes great decisions. Uh, and then he still has – he's not the athlete that he was when he was 21 or 22, and I understand that, but I've watched enough film this summer – to know that he still has exceptional quickness and strength. Uh, um, and the other difference is, you know, he's played a lot more now. You know, he's smarter. Uh, I think that he has a better feel uh, for some of the skill elements of the game than he did when he was younger. And, and you know, again, if you look at Atlanta's defense, they were fourth in defense last year. And a big part of it was his ability to protect the paint and the basket
0: that's good and and you had a great relationship with him i remember in orlando and so you know that at least that you know from that is that he you know even though you're the head coach now he knows he can trust you and he can talk to you and that's so huge i think in the business you know for that you know so that's good tell me about the rest of your team what do you what do you foresee this year i know last year with the injuries and stuff you had a rough ending and stuff but you know you you, you i know you're optimistic this season
1: no, I, I really like our team. And, um, you know, two years ago, you know, when we, you know, we won 48 uh, uh, and we were really playing well at the end of the year, and Miami beat us in a seven-game series in the first round of the playoffs. Right. Our strength was our depth. And last year, our weakness was our depth. Our <laughs> starters uh, actually had, I think, the 11th or 12th best plus minus in the league. Uh, But we just struggled, you know, again, much of it health related where, you know how it is, you miss a guy and all of a sudden, you know, it affects everything. So, you know, I think that we can get back this year so that we can have a a team that has really good depth. And, you know, it's actually very simple to me is if you're going to win consistently, you know, I mean, defense is defense. That's the constant, but it's balanced play. You're not going to win consistently in this league if you're not good offensively too. So two years ago we were ninth in offense and ninth in defense. Last year we ended up 14th in defense and 14th in offense. And we've got to get back to more balanced play. Um, I'm excited about a number of our guys. Uh, I will tell you that one guy that finished the year the last 26 25 games really really well uh and has had a terrific summer here is jeremy lamb and he's a he's a shot maker uh he too he has positional size uh and he's really his body looks good he's in a great frame of mind but uh, he's had a great summer and he's one of the reasons that i think our depth will be very much improved
0: but uh, that that's great and and uh you know and I know um that'll keep the boss Michael happy and uh you know and uh, it, it it's fun to watch you know someone like Mike who you know, you know, came in the league with, and and you know, and watch him, you know, develop, and I and I love the way he's approaching his ownership now, and what he's done, and, the, and you have a great organization now, and you got Charlotte buzzing, which is an incredible pro town, I think, you know, and a great place to live. So, Steve, I'm really happy for you, and really excited for you to get have a great year, and I appreciate you, and I know all of our listeners do around the world that listen, get the chance to listen to coach because you've given so much insight to them today, and thank you so much for sharing
1: no thank you Brennan. anytime it's great as always it's great talking with
0: you i appreciate it, my friend thanks again